1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. I'm
2: Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dada. Well, the last redeemable quality that was the Pat McAfee show just went up in flames. (laughs) The only thing that was even um, remotely admirable about that show is that they weren't one of the major media networks and uh they're going to work for the man. They are going over to ESPN. Oh, I know they have complete control. Yeah, BS, you have complete control. That just means you can come up with your own topics and somebody isn't going to come in and say here's what I want you to talk about. That has nothing to do with somebody standing over your shoulder going, "Uh, yeah, dude, you can't say that." There are absolutely guidelines that ESPN has in place, and he will have to be within those guidelines for sure. Wasn't there just a big thing recently where Stephen A went on the Pat McAfee show and said he admired him and looked up to what he has been doing because he was uncensored and all that stuff and he was, you know, Stephen A was looking to get away or something like that. You well, know, whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't watch the show anyways, but um, again, now that it has become just another ESPN show. Another uh relatively minor news, veteran wide receiver Kiki Kuti is working out for the Packers today, i.e. yesterday. Per source, this is from Tom Pelissero. He's also a punt return option versatility that could help Green Bay after Randall Cobb departure. Assuming he just means from a veteran sense, is there anything super interesting about that? Not really. Um, You know, I I I can't really see it as a positive. As much as I I hate to shoot down the idea of any sort of veteran being in the room, but I just don't want a guy that we already know is not a great football player to come in and. Take a spot. Which again goes back to what I talked about yesterday, right? The difference between I don't know and I do know and it's not good. I don't know, in my estimation, is better information than negative information. It's the reason rookie undrafted free agents take precedent over third year undrafted free agents, even though we've seen some minor progress from my from these Uh, third year undrafted free agents we know they know the system better we know there is a slight chance that this new undrafted free agent could actually be worse why do we take precedent why does the new guy take precedent over the old guy then because i don't know is more valuable than i know and it ain't great but since he visited and everybody's going to want to know um kiki kuti 2018 fourth round pick he spent three years with the houston texans his best year was in 2020 had a 68.2 grade 400 yards and three touchdowns he then went to Indy at one target one reception for five yards and a 51 grade 2022 he had one target one reception 20 yards and a 37.5 grade Uh, as far as his special teams it doesn't really matter a ton to me as far as his return ability which has not been super great his punt return average was 8.9 yards in 2022. It was 6.9 yards in 2020. Those are the only two yards he had done that. Uh, 19.4 kick return yards in 2020. He only had five kick returns in his career. So um, experience and ability are, are definitely two different things, and I don't know that he's super fantastic, especially since I feel like we've got plenty of guys that are uh, capable. Another news, the Packers did claim tackle DJ Scaife. These guys were claimed off of waivers. I don't exactly know how this all came to be. Somehow their 2023 Miami Dolphins free agent became available on waivers, and the Packers picked him up. So I don't—I have no idea what that means. I guess during undrafted free agency, period, you just grab as many human beings as is humanly possible, and then at some point you realize you probably took too many and didn't really want some of these guys. And so you cut him. The Dolphins actually cut three undrafted free agent offensive linemen, one of them being Scaife, and so the Packers picked him up. But six foot three, three 314-pound um, offensive tackle slash guard. Um, all on the right side, by the way, right tackle and right guard. So a little bit of extra right side competition. Significantly better pass blocker than run blocker. Uh, spent five years at Miami. Pass blocking grades 68, 70, 70, and then 88, 80. Run blocking, 71, 66, 58, 74, 62. So not as impressive. But again, pass blocking. I don't want to say it's the only thing that matters because it's not. But nobody cares how much you like run blocking. Let's just put it that way. I know because nobody cares how much I love run blocking. And so I just figure I'll just let you know how it is for us out here. It's hard out here for a player. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else we got going on now? Um, It appears as though there's some pretty serious... Issues going on between Devontae Adams and the Raiders. I think he's really upset with the way that things panned out. Uh, I think he genuinely thought he was getting a commitment from the Raiders as far as the quarterback situation. And it genuinely sounds like Devontae wants off the team. Now, whether or not he's trying to be traded to get back with uh, his buddy Derek Carr or possibly to uh, head over to see Aaron Rodgers with the Jets, I don't know if that's even an option for either team, to be honest. But um, it does sound like he's pretty frustrated. I don't know exactly what the plan is, but he certainly is not uh, very happy. There's an article that came out as far as the uh, written by The Ringer, but uh, it starts off basically talking about a couple different things. The first of which is that Devontae wanted vindication that he didn't need Aaron Rodgers. It's another thing that we talked about yesterday and the day before that and every single day since. I saw people arguing about it. I decided not to jump into it. I'm borderline ready to mute one of these guys on Twitter, but this constant talk about how You know, these people make those people better. Quarterbacks make wide receivers better. Wide receivers make quarterbacks better. Blah, 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 blah. blah. It's all garbage nonsense. It's nonsense. Devontae Adams never needed Aaron Rodgers. He never needed him. He's not a good receiver because of Aaron Rodgers. That's nonsense. But it was a big deal for him this past year. It was a big chip on his shoulder thing to prove that he's great by himself and it has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. He says he reached out to the PR guy, said, I need an ant. Like, as soon as you find out if... What the heck was it? Uh... Pro Bowl or All-Pro or whatever. He wanted to know immediately whether or not he got the honors. Said he never cared before, but this year he did. While many did praise Devontae's stellar play, he felt other narratives followed him too, such as Devontae succeeding only because of Aaron. That sentiment frustrated him, though he never addressed it publicly. He chose to let his prolific play speak for itself. Besides, he respected and still respects Rodgers but Adams believes he was not always given the respect he has earned as a generational talent in his own right. This is exactly what we talked about yesterday. Everybody on the Packers team is constantly disrespected, including Devontae. Now, Devontae was much less so, but it took how many years before anybody gave him the the time of day? He was, what, the best wide receiver in football for three straight years before he got recognized? Aaron Jones has been one of the top running backs for how many years now? Nobody thinks about him as a top running back. He's a good running back. Nobody would say see him as a top five running back. Nobody. Outside of Green Bay Packers fans, and maybe half of those at that. But I think that's going to be a positive for this team moving forward. Because again, look at every single person, and I've got a great video on this today, every single person seems to believe that the team was propped up by Rodgers. And so that discounts everybody else. So now is an opportunity for everybody else on this team to go out and prove that this team was not a garbage team propped up by Aaron Rodgers. But he had to leave Green Bay, Devontae Adams did. Had to leave Green Bay in order to get the vindication that he felt he deserved. He says, Now people can't say that. They'll never uh that'll never be a narrative ever again. He felt vindicated by the All Pro Honor. Some tightly wound part of him loosened. Quote, it proved that I am me. A quarterback doesn't make me, I make me, and I can do it consistently at any level. And you say, Well, Devontae's different. How? You don't think Devante would have fallen off a little bit if quarterbacks help wide receivers look better than they are, and Aaron Rodgers is the greatest ever, you wouldn't expect a half a step backward. You're just making stuff up. He even goes on to say, you can erase all the numbers. You just can't write in. You can just write in he didn't need Aaron Rodgers. That really, really ticked him off. I'm not making this stuff up. This is serious. All the constant disrespect that's weighing on everybody, including Devonte Adams. Nobody ever gets dis- get- gets any respect in Green Bay aside from Rodgers. He's the only one. And then when he has a ba- then when he has a bad year, and he's expected to take some of the criticism, all hell breaks loose. But anyways, he then goes on to talk about how things are changing. It is what it is. But the biggest frustration he has is that they have a different vision for the team. He goes on to say, we don't see eye to eye and what we think is best for us right now. Adams is in a bad spot. He thought he was jumping away from a ship that was about to start this massive tear down, rebuild phase, only to find out the Raiders of the team that have, uh, well, let's be honest, they've been a, in a perpetual rebuild for what feels like 30 years now. <laughs> it was the last time this team wasn't just constantly several pieces away and needing to go in a new direction. But yeah, I don't think the Raiders are any in, in any position to compete today. And Devontae Adams is getting to that point similar to where Aaron Rodgers got, where he's looking at it, realizing I'm getting close to the end here. And so although, you know, again, he's still playing for his childhood team, at the end of the day, your buddy's gone. You're playing for a relatively inept organization. You're really not even close to competing, especially in a pretty tough division. And your leadership really isn't in any urgency to try to find a way to win today, which means you're going to have to sit around and be patient when you really don't have time on your side. So we'll see. I mean, I'm not expecting him to try to force a trade or anything like that, but if this year ends up going poorly, which I it almost assuredly will, I don't know how much longer he's going to sit that, sit that out. Anyways, I want to throw this in here as well. Um I was happy to hear this because sometimes I say stuff, and I know you guys hear me, but I feel like I'm going crazy because I don't see it or hear it anywhere else. Fortunately, one of the things that I've missed throughout this, because usually during the off-season all you get are the shock jock folks, I miss all the uh, the gambling types, you know? Because although the gambling types get stuff wrong all the time, the only thing that matters to them is getting things right. That's it. It's just thinking things through as rationally as, you hum- as humanly possible. So I don't always see eye to eye with everything they say, but at least it's just not random nonsense for the sake of being random nonsense. So I... Um, Saw on the Pick Six podcast, they brought uh, their uh, they had Will Brinton and then their their gambling guy, whoever that is, come on and talk about Bears-Packers Week One. And uh, here is what they had to say about the matchup.
3: Owner of the Bears, Aaron Rodgers, is no longer in Green Bay, and we see the Bears now favored minus two and a half over the Packers. RJ, is the market kind of overvaluing the Bears here?
1: I think mean, absolutely. I mean, their, their win total, I think is seven and a half. I mean, we're, this is the worst team in the league last year, and they've made some good upgrades, but, you know, that who knows what that defense is going to look like? Um, who knows what the offense is going to look like, especially on the offensive line, if they're going to be able to block, um, for, for Justin Fields. And he did some good things last year, but he's not, you know, I don't know that he has a Jalen Hurts type of level leap in him. You know, he's a good, going to be a good quarterback, great for fantasy. Um, but we don't know if he's going to get to that top tier at some point. So I think this line is really telling you that, Green Bay, Jordan Love is already busted, and they're 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 a team that has a bust quarterback, is what the line's telling you. I think the the range of outcomes for Jordan Love are a lot wider than that, and this line is building in. And actually, their futures betting numbers are building into the expectation he's going to bust, and he's not very good. And I would rather play the optimistic side of that and think we're getting value if that range of outcomes happens instead. So I think the 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 my power ratings have this at Bears minus one and a half. Um, I could see everybody wanting to play the Bears and be at three because they're just on the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, but my pick in this game is almost certainly going to be the Packers.
2: So, again, everything he said is exactly correct. It's exactly correct. The The Bears being favorited, considering this was the worst team in football last year, and we already have information on Justin Fields, and that information points to him being a bad quarterback. The only reason we have this line is, is essentially twofold. We're picking on the Packers now that Rodgers is gone, and we've already predetermined that Jordan Love is busted, which is staggering. Because clearly we haven't determined that with Justin Fields yet. That's why they're ahead. And what does he say? It's, it's a better bet to bet on the Packers. Because although it's possible that Jordan Love is not good, there is a range of outcomes that range, ranges from bad to mediocre to good. And if he's not a bust, then this line is terrible. It's assuming something that we don't have information on. And that's a great way to capitalize and make some money in these situations. But he's saying exactly what I was saying yesterday. It's already been predetermined that Jordan Love, because we don't have any information, we know that he's bad. And that's stupid. What else could this possibly mean? Why would the worst team in football be favorites over the Green Bay Packers? I understand they're at home, which could essentially make this a push. But, but make absolutely no mistake about it. The Green Bay Packers have a better roster aside from the quarterbacks. It's not even really close. You can give them wide receiver, although that's a question mark. Tight end, I'm absolutely not giving them. Offensive line is Packers. Running back is Packers. Defensive line, defensive tackles, and edge is both Packers. Linebacker, I still think, could potentially be Packers, despite the billion dollars they invested in that. Cornerback is definitely Packers. Safety is Bears. We have a better roster. So the quarterback split, they're putting heavily in the Justin Fields column, even just to bring this up to even. Doesn't make any sense. Again, we have information on Fields and it's negative. We don't have information on Jordan Love. And by the way, if I may just comment on this, because I've heard this numerous times. There was another. I think there was another uh, thing I wanted to pull up here, just because somebody else mentioned this. I'm just going to play this because... I don't know. Why
1: not? I'm going to take the team that are the worst record in the NFL. Whoa! The Chicago Bears going from 3-14 and 14 to winning the NFC North. Look, I love the Lions, but I think this division is up for grabs. Totally. It wouldn't totally shock me if any one of these four teams won it. And the Bears had a great offseason in terms of their process. They added a lot of picks. They upgraded their offensive line. They upgraded their defensive line. And you don't have to squint too hard. To see Justin Fields as the best quarterback in this division if he takes a big Jalen Hurts-type leap this season. A lot more weapons around him. Let's go Bears.
2: Yeah. So even, even the way he described this doesn't make any sense. It's just such a weird way to put this. They had a great offseason in terms of their process. What, what does that mean? They've improved their offensive and defensive line. Not really. They added a mediocre guard. They drafted a tackle, so they have a rookie tackle. Everything else is the same. What is better on their defensive line? Nothing, really. It's a terrible defensive line. Might be the worst group of pass rushers in the entire NFL. But then, after basically saying they haven't done anything to prove anything, he's saying it's it's possible that he could be the best quarterback in the NFC North if he takes a massive leap. Why even say that sentence? Because it applies to all 32 teams. If their quarterback takes a massive leap, they probably win the division. There isn't a single team that that doesn't apply to. But let's leave all that aside, because what I really wanted to highlight was this constant discussion about um, Jalen Hurts. If he takes a Jalen Hurts-type leap, I really hate to uh, bring this to everybody's attention, but if he takes a Jalen Hurts-type leap, he's still not a good quarterback. Jalen Hurts jumped from a 70 passing grade to an 84 passing grade. So he jumped up 14 points. Justin Fields, who was the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th worst passer in the NFL last year, if he jumps up 14 points from a 54 to a 68, that puts him roughly Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott, which sounds good because these are bigger style names, but that's below Mac Jones and Jimmy Garoppolo, and Daniel Jones, and Jared Goff, and Ryan Tannehill, and Kenny Pickett, and Mitch Trubisky, by the way. It's way down there. A 68th grade would make him the 24th best passer in the NFL. In order for him to get to where Jalen Hurts is, he would have to do something way more significant than what Jalen Hurts did. Because Jalen Hurts wasn't as bad as Justin Fields. Jalen Hurts was almost as bad as a rookie when he didn't really even play that much. He had a 57.5, but he went from a 57 to a 70 to an 84. So he took a big jump, and then he took a second big jump. What did Justin Fields do? Well, he had a 60 grade, and he went down to a 54. He went backwards last year as a passer. He got worse. So I'm sorry, but a Jalen Hurts-type leap isn't going to do it. And in order for him to get where Jalen Hurts is, he'd have to jump 30 points. 30. I wish I had a way to search that, but let's just, let's just assume that that's something that very, 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 very rarely ever happens. The closest example I could find of a guy who took a big jump like that was Trevor Lawrence. He had a passing grade of 58 and went up to 74. But there's some differences. Number one, it was from year one to year two. This would be from year two to year three for Justin Fields. And again, Justin Fields went backwards last year. Secondly, 2021 was a little bit of a fluke for Trevor Lawrence because that was an absolute disaster of a football team. He was one of the most promising quarterback prospects to come out in a very long time and massively underwhelmed, largely because it was such a dysfunctional garbage organization with one of the most horrible head coaches the NFL's seen in a very, very long time. And when he went bye-bye in 2022, he played more like what you would expect. And you know what? There's every reason to expect that he's going to continue to grow. In fact, starting in about week nine, he only had one game that was below a 60 the entire season, the second half of the season, and that was in week 16. Fields, in the second half of the season, only had two games that were above a 50, or, or I should say 60s or higher, 58, 56, 59, 82... 49, 82, and 31. So this Jalen Hurts leap, first of all, isn't good enough. You're going to have to find somebody else that made a much bigger leap if we're going to expect Justin Fields to do anything positive because he was dog crap last year. Third best passing grade was a 63. Third best the entire season. 63.5 passing grade. He threw for 151 yards and two touchdowns. 6.6 yards per attempt. And look, I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to say that the Packers are definitely going to beat the Bears week one. I'm just saying, if you want to make a case for it, make a case for it. Anyways, it's a bit of an early break, but I want to uh, make a clean break here, come back, and I want to play this video. Um, it is Brian Gutekunst doing an interview talking about the draft class, and I just love the, uh, the excitement level and some of the insights. As is pointed out in the video, everybody has a good draft at this time of the year, and everybody's excited, but it is nice to be able to hear uh some of the specifics and some of the reasons why there might be a little bit more optimism this time around than maybe in the past so we'll take a quick break patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast we'll take a break we'll be right back in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons.
0: No team has a bad draft on draft day, but after this one, when you came down, you seemed genuinely, genuinely
3: pleased. Am I reading that right? Yeah, obviously there's a lot of hope this time of year with all 32 teams, but I think, you know, for me, I think the process is always a big part of what we do, and kind of watching the process unfold, uh, the board really felt right, and uh, we were just able to uh, accomplish a lot of the goals, I think, that we were hopeful to accomplish. And so, yeah, very excited about
2: this group. So obviously, as always with these stupid Packer videos, I apologize for not only the music, but these ridiculous, very loud, um, whatever the heck they're called, scene cut videos, overlays. But anyways, as far as that particular comment, the great thing about it is that what what he's laying out is there's there's sort of primary goals and secondary goals. In other words, there's a way that we do things. There's, you know, you, you, whether you want to call it best player available or whatever the case may be. But obviously, you also understand that there are needs as far as the team is concerned. And ideally, your draft would look a lot like all the fans drafts, which is just a list of positions that we like. And you draft the most important position in the first round and the second most important position in the second round, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in reality, you can't always execute things the way that you would want. Beyond that, there's also a a situation that can occur where you're looking at it and guys that you really like start to fall off and suddenly your board kind of goes to zero pretty quickly. But it sounds like their draft went pretty unencumbered. The people that were hoping would be there were there. I mean, that's where you also see where the Packers are trading back in the second round because things are going so well and they have so many options. They decide, let's just trade back and let the guys that are still there fall.
0: Afterwards... I was talking to Milt Hendrickson, your director of football operations, and he told me, and he's a real football guy now, he told me, we got some dudes in this (laughs) class. Who
3: might be the dudes in this class? Yeah, no, I think they all have a chance to be, but I think certainly up at the top. We acquired some guys that I think really fit the profile of what, uh, you know, Green Bay Packer is all about, you know. Um, Guys who are very, very talented, uh, very, very productive, um, but they're also, you know, the the work ethic that they've show they shown so far in their college career um, and just kind of the character of the people really fit our locker room.
2: So it really, for me anyways, gives me a, a, a real high level of confidence because, you know, different drafts go differently. And to hear that they were particularly excited about this draft and then to hear that guys like Milt Hendrickson were going up to certain people and being like, dude, this was... We got some serious players in this draft. And for comes to obviously, it would make sense, lay out the fact that we're primarily talking about the the early guys. Let's call it days one and two guys. It gives you another level of confidence. Of course, nobody knows for sure what's going to happen, but the fact that we know for a fact that these guys check some serious boxes and there is a high level of confidence in that building that they got some players that, that are really going to be high-level contributors for the Packers
0: tight ends, wide receivers, you have supplied Jordan Love with some additional weapons, but those weapons are young. How should we temper our
3: expectations? Yeah, I don't want to put a ceiling on anything. You know, these guys, obviously, they're young and they are inexperienced, but I think this guy's the limit, and it's really going to take all those guys um, coming together with the current group that we already have and um, I, I really don't want to put a ceiling on it because there's no reason those guys can't go out and perform the national football league. Or there will be ups and downs just like every single year, absolutely. Um, but they're all very, very talented. They're very smart. And uh, I think if they come together as a group, that uh, they can accomplish a lot of things.
2: I can tell Brian Gutekunst is not particularly excited about the fact that Matt LaFleur came out and said temper expectations because every opportunity he gets, he loves coming in there and saying, yeah, no, we're not tempering anything here, sorry. I understand Matt LaFleur trying to take some pressure off of his quarterback. Same exact thing Aaron Rodgers wanted to do for his wide receivers last year. But there's also somewhat of a negative message in that as well. You know, on one hand, you don't want these people to be these guys to be too stressed out, have too much pressure, and to make that pressure become too much for them to handle. But at the same time, you certainly don't want to send any messages to the locker room that the expectation is low, or that we don't believe that the guys in this locker room can go get the job done. And so I definitely appreciate Brian Gutekunst's message, and that is, yes, they're inexperienced, but they're extremely talented. We brought them here for a reason, and it's because they're extremely talented, and we have very high expectations for them.
0: let see, Lucas Van Ness, Colby Wooden, Carl Brooks, common denominator, pass rush potential, That is the name of the game in
3: today's game, is it not? You have to affect the quarterback. And uh, that was one of the goals that I talked about earlier that we wanted to accomplish. We wanted to add some depth uh, with our pass rush, and I think uh, all three of those guys fit the bill. Um, They can rush a passer from not only on the edge, but on the inside as well. Um, So I think hopefully as these guys grow and learn the NFL game, that'll add some versatility to our group.
2: I tell you what, just listening to this makes you realize how awesome it is to have 13 draft picks. Because it's like, you know, you can't get everything done in the draft. And then you realize, man, when you have 13 picks, you pretty much can. You know, obviously not everybody can be expected to hit. But, man, you can load up on pass catchers and load up on pass rushers and get a kicker and get a quarterback and get a running back. I mean, it's like we're tripling up at multiple positions and still filling in little holes here and there as we go along. But it is fantastic to think about a real deep group of pass rushers. I mean, we, we've seen it in the past when you when we had you know Preston, Rashawn, and uh, Zadarius kind of at their peak. It was a real small window, but the value it brings is just ridiculous. And to be able to um, have talented players, but also be real deep, so you can rotate them and still feel comfortable with it, and have guys on the outside as well as on the inside that are pass rushers. It's just a really really exciting thing, and and you know, it, it just, it's one of those things where if you've got, let's just say, five guys across the line, let's four might be more common, but let's say you got five guys across the line, it really becomes a factor of making sure you don't have guys that are bad pass rushers more so than making sure you have guys that are really good pass rushers. Because if you have five guys with a 12% pressure rate, none of those guys are necessarily the number one pass, you know, they're not at 17, but the pressures will be non-stop. If you have four or five guys at a 12% range, the problem is when you got one guy that's 15, your next best guy is 10, and then you got some five, six, and sevens mixed in, it just isn't going to be able to get it done. But you get some consistent 10 to 12s, and it can come from anywhere. That's fun stuff.
0: Drafted Anders Carlson in the sixth round. Where does your kicking situation stand right now?
3: Well, obviously, he'll come in, and Parker White's uh, here as well. So watching those two guys compete will, will be good. I think, obviously, Rich Versace had a strong relationship with Anderson. So I think um, that's a positive thing for us. We had a lot of information about him. Uh, he worked through some injuries in college. Um, but we feel very good about his talent. We feel very good about the person. So that's obviously uh, not settled yet, and won't be probably until we get to the regular season. Um, but we like both guys and their talent.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine uh, him not necessarily winning the job, although he could be a complete disaster, in which case I'm not sure which way that would go. But it is kind of cool to hear because, again, how much information really is there about kickers and whatnot. But when you have a special teams coordinator, first of all, again, of his caliber, and I don't want to sit here and say he's the best special teams coordinator in football, but at least we have somebody that has a high level of competence in terms of special teams, which seems like it should be a baseline that all 32 teams have, but it, as we know is not. Um, but to, to, to first of all, have his input, but second of all, for him to be able to have a relationship, not just with his brother, but according to Brian Gutekunst with Anders himself. Um, so it's, it's cool that he knows him on a personal level and can give you a lot of real good insights into the guy. And I think that's a big part of what some of these guys are as unfortunate as it can be. You know, that's why we see some of these guys that come in for these top 30 visits that come in. And it's like, well, you, you hate to pass up on some of these guys just because they didn't come in for a visit, but there are also a lot of variables that you can control for. There's a lot of things that you know about these guys, haven't been able to meet them and understand their character. And so you um, you, know, you you know don't want to bring a guy in just because he has a, a, a nice attitude, but at the same time, you hate to bring a guy in that has a bunch of question marks. You don't know anything about him other than you know he's a slightly higher field goal percentage than this other guy that you know very well and will fit the locker room and all that other stuff. Uh, I won't play the entire next segment, but it was a pretty good insight. Essentially, as far as offensive line, the, the Packers didn't set out to not draft one, but the way that they looked at it, and we've talked about this with other positions as well, it even applies to free agency, but the thought process was if we don't get one early, there's no point in even bringing one in because we really like the guys that we have. And even if we're looking at it and it's not just a group of David Bakhtiaris, it's still a group that we know... You know, if we get this guy in the fourth round, fifth round, whatever, he's not going to win a job here. He's just not. And again, that isn't to say that they wouldn't potentially invest if if somebody fell, but it's just one of those position groups where you either get somebody that's real good to have a chance to upgrade, or you don't do it at all, because we have so many guys that are sort of competing slash developmental, whatever. We don't really need more of those. trying to think what other positions that would apply to. Probably wide receiver. Um... I don't think there's any reason to bring in more uh, developmental, sort of maybe kind of prospects. Either get some guarantees or don't bother. Because we're not short on bodies. Speaking of wide receiver.
0: Jaden Reed, a little smaller than your typical Packer receiver. But over the years, I've noticed when you guys go smaller, you go special. And the example that comes instantly to mind is Alexander. He's not a
3: prototype size-wise, but he's special. He is special. Um, We've always kind of used the term that if they're gonna be under our kind of uh, Mendoza line, so to speak, which Jaden is not, he's just above it, Um, but they kind of gotta walk on water. And um, certainly we think he um, has a ton of ability. Um, For a guy his size, his ability to win the contested ball really stood out to us obviously he's got very good speed and quickness to get open and then he he offers so much versatility um, not only on offense but on special teams as well
2: yeah so a couple things on that obviously first of all it's just good to hear him talk about Jaden and what gets him excited about all that and whatnot but he he more or less laid out that there really isn't there's a line but the line isn't we won't draft you there may be that but the line that we generally you know i mean yeah if he's five foot four i guarantee he's not getting drafted right but But the point is, there's a line, and and it really just means if you're below this, then you have to have some exception abilities. You have to be exceptionable. Exceptional. What are we doing here? But again, the other important thing is, as Gutekunst laid out, he's not below the line. And I I think that's a common, I don't want to say necessarily misconception, but we, we constantly are putting him in a box of, he's like this tiny little Randall Cobb guy. I understand he's not. I mean, first of all, especially compared to Packers receivers, because generally speaking, we're looking for six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. But if we're saying you know six foot two hundred is is relatively average, he's what one inch and five pounds shy of that. So he's he's slightly undersized, is what he is, and slight to a degree that it really is borderline irrelevant. You know, like if you're looking for six foot four, two twenty five, and a quarterback, this the quarterback would be like six two two. 15 like all right it's maybe not super ideal but who gives a crap but again the other thing i like about it is the talk about versatility and and you know he, he does reference special teams as a part of that versatility but that's not the only thing um i i stand by the fact that even if it may not be week one i do i do actually see this similar to jair he mentioned jair and the thing um remember when we drafted jair it was we drafted a slot guy And then I came up with the thought that, you know, if he's really good, he could be one of those inside-outside guys. Turns out he was so good, he just stayed outside. I see this as something similar. He got drafted. A lot of people see him as our slot guy, as our Randall Cobb. You know, he's a punt returner slash slot receiver. And I'm like, I don't know, dude. He's sort of an inside-outside guy that may spend more time outside. You know, I mean, if we're going to go three wide, fine. We'll put Dobbs out there, put him in the slot. That's cool and all. But I don't see any reason why he couldn't be a boundary guy. As well as a slot guy, and I'm excited about all of it.
0: Different team might have to get it done a different way, but do you find the
3: change kind of invigorating, kind of exciting? Yeah, I think that's throughout the building as well. I think um, every every season's a new season. You never really know how it's going to go. You never really know where you're going to be strong where you're going to be weak, and it's kind of a, an evolving thing as you go through the course of a season. But it's very exciting, I think for our staff, you know the, the, I think everybody's really eager. Um, to kind of find out what we have, what we can do. Um, and it's really been a positive uh, attitude so far. So we're excited. Um, we're a long ways away from, from training camp in that season. But uh, seeing the guys out there working together, um, that always gets the juices going.
2: Thank you. I'm just glad by the answer because I've noticed it in myself, and I can't fully explain it, right? It should be something negative, right? Aaron Rodgers is gone. There's a, a potential that we're the, the good days are over, at least for a little while. Why is there this sort of feeling of excitement? And it's not just me, it's the callers as well. There's this feeling of excitement, there's this newness, there's this youth, there's this, like, going in a new direction and seeing a new thing, and it's, it is just kind of exciting. And it's good to hear that Brian Gutekunst and the staff feels essentially the same way. And no, it's not just a we hate rogers and we are glad he's gone thing. That's absolutely not it. But, you know, I, I, I can't help but feel like there is just sort of this we've done the same thing for so long. For so long. And it, it has been good for the most part. There's been bad parts to it. There's been good parts to it. But you know, we we get to see something different, different scheme, different dynamic, different everything. And in, in in a way, it feels bigger than when we went from McCarthy to LaFleur or from uh Ted Thompson to Brian Gutekunst. And Those are major changes, but it 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 in, in a way feels like it's bigger than that. Even even the offense, it feels like the offense will be bigger with a new quarterback and and all new young wide receivers. And maybe that's part of it too, is that there's reason for optimism. It's not new in terms of we just lost everybody. Because that happens to some teams. It's like we just got to gut everyone. It's like, well, that sucks. You know, there are teams floating around out there. They don't really have a quarterback. They don't really have wide receivers. You know, they they have to start building that. We have everything. Now, we got to see if they're any good, but this is a new, young, talented group. We have a first-round quarterback. We have two second-round wide receivers and a fourth-rounder that we really like, on top of some other guys that have shown some level of talent. Promise, whatever. Two young, talented tight ends. Very optimistic about the offensive line. Obviously, we have really good running backs. Really like our defensive line on top of adding Lucas Van Ness and Wooden and excited about our cornerback group, excited about special teams. There's reason to be excited. It's not just, well, everybody's gone, and so this is going to be horrible. In a way, with the exception of quarterback, and, and obviously it's potential that that jordan love could have a good year but even just leaving the quarterback aside there's reason to believe that almost every position can be or even should be better and i think the receiving part of it is a big big aspect of this christian watson romeo dobbs Jaden reed and whoever else happens to emerge on top of the newer younger better receiving tight end threats i think that's an exciting dynamic that that we haven't really looked at in a while we haven't added this many pass catchers in a very long time we haven't invested in tight end like this since, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know when. So it's exciting to be excited, and I'm glad to hear that it's it's not just fans that you know are are denying the impending doom to come. Anyways, I want to kick it over to, I don't know how many of these we're going to be able to get through, but we'll just go through them one at a time, and if we don't finish, we'll do it tomorrow. But I want to get to now Rich Passaccia. Uh, we had a couple coaches do their, their pressers. I want to do Rich Passaccia, and this is kind of cool because um he elaborates a little bit more on the anders carlson thing and it's it's cool because even though i you know i get it like he has a long history with him whatever i don't necessarily need to know the specifics it is kind of cool when you hear the specifics to be able to to think about you know you, you know you've, you've seen this guy since he was a kid you know anders and um you know, you're know, you you're close with a kicker and his little brother comes out once in a while and, and now you get the opportunity to draft him and it's just kind of a cool thing. But here is here is some uh, little more insight into Rich Passaccia's history with our brand new kicker.
4: My my, my history with on um, the Carlson family goes way back to my cup of coffee at Auburn. Um, I think I told you guys once before that my first home visit was at Daniel Carlson and, and um, he ends up obviously going to Auburn. So I got to meet honors a long time ago and then At our time at at Vegas, Honors had come out there um, a couple times and um, had been on the grass with us um, a couple times, obviously, to see his brother. And so um, Daniel and I at at times would take some of Auburn's tape and and watch Honors when he was playing, and we talked to him about some of the drills that we did, some of those things. So we're familiar with Honors as well as the the whole family, and we're we're excited about working with them right now.
2: So then the the other – not only is it very cool because, again – this guy has been out there and whatnot, but it's, it's been a two-way street, right? Daniel's been trying to help his brother at Auburn. So who does he go to for help? He goes to Rich Passaccia. So Rich Passaccia is the guy that's been working with Anders in terms of trying to help coach him up. So he's, in a sense, already been coaching this kid through his college career. He's been going through his tape. He's been trying to fine-tune him. So this, is, this has already been a work in progress. And in terms of his understanding of what Rich Passaccia is going to want out of a kicker, he's going to come in here with a better understanding than any rookie kicker is going to have because he's in a sense already been working with him. but anyways besides that the next question is okay what what about his body of work what about him as a kicker kind of made you want to bring him in here
4: well you know he's he's uh, had the ups and downs a little bit through college but he's been there six years you know he stayed when he could have tried to come out he's had an acl injury he's had a um a shoulder injury and i know you know a lot of people just look at stats at 71 percent coming out but i i look at the really the makeup of the person. Um, I think he's a strong uh, mental makeup person. I think he's been his best regardless of the circumstance. Um, He's been in a lot of big games. He's kicked in a lot of different situations in the SEC. He's kicked in many bowl games. So um, I love his body structure and uh, the power that he has and the ability to get stronger and um, the ability to self-correct, I think, is a little bit of a family trait right now that we're seeing from him. So we're excited about where he's gonna go forward.
2: And, and that makes sense to some degree as well. Um, you know, obviously it would be the easiest thing in the world to to just take the guy that is the best kicker. But it kind of goes back to what we've talked about with some of the other positions where you can take a guy that's a finished product and plop him in and say, this is what you get and hope that you get something similar in the NFL. Or you take a prospect that you think you can mold. And so again, he's been through some adversity and he's had some injuries and whatnot that have been kind of setbacks and everything. but. You know, It makes sense to say, I can teach you how to fix some of these issues here. What I need is a mentally tough person that can kick in big games, in tough situations that isn't going to crack under pressure. I need a guy with the right body type and all these, all these little things that I can't teach you how to do, I need that to be right. And then on top of that, you're somebody that I can trust. I know that you're coachable. I know you got a good family. I know all this stuff going into it. And I'm just trusting that the areas of weakness are areas that we can kind of coach out of you. But uh, without going through every single one of these, a couple of the highlights here. Door's not closed on Mason, although, you know, probably pretty well almost closed. Jaden Reed, they're excited to see what he can do as a returner. Uh, Did talk about one of the differences. They have a kicking ball now. There's a new uh, ball. But he mentioned that it's slicker than what he catches from quarterbacks, which seems really weird and is annoying because I don't think there's anything worse than the anxiety when that ball's hanging up there just hoping your guy doesn't muff the punt or the kickoff, or whatever. And to hear that it's a slicker ball on kickoffs than what the quarterback uses is a little bit annoying. Anyways, I think I'm going to save the other two for tomorrow, and I'm going to leave that uh, at that for now. Definitely excited about the special teams unit. I think we've got some improvements there. Got a great uh, group of guys coming back from last year. A couple different additions, and of course we've got uh, the second year in this Rich Pisaccia system. So guys should have a better understanding of what they're doing out there. But again, we've got um, Joe Barry as well as offensive line coach Adam Stenovich talking uh, to the media. We'll cover that tomorrow. But you guys have a good rest of your day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.